There are common myths that nonprofits can't make money or that they shouldn't charge for services. And I think this is just crippling the nonprofit industry and definitely crippling those new ideas that people have when they're getting started and why most nonprofits probably shut down within their first year or even five years. So I think the world needs your ideas, your innovation, your passion, your calling, okay? But if your nonprofit idea to offer a public good, to meet a need, to solve a problem isn't getting off the ground, or if you really need it to get off the ground, then it needs to be sustainable and actually serve the cause you intended to serve, okay? And you need to understand that nonprofits must make money to survive and to be sustainable. And one way they can do that is by charging for services. And there's other ways we can do it too. So today we're gonna to talk about why you need to make money, why it's okay, why these are total myths, and why you should charge for services and what services you can charge for. Let's talk about it. Welcome to episode 51 of For Purpose Live, where I help you get clear, get focused, and be impactful by showing you how to step fully into the calling that you have been given without taking on that common narrative that nonprofits have to struggle. That's right, together we can get you in your sweet spot using your strengths and talents to serve this world and build a movement of support for your mission simply by living for purpose, on purpose. I am your host, Rebecca Britt, and today we are talking about why nonprofits must charge or they at least have to make that money. Now, if you find yourself, you've stepped out into your calling and you are a nonprofit founder, executive director, and you're wearing so many hats and you feel overwhelmed and you're just like, oh my gosh, how, why is this so hard? Then I want you to go grab my free web class on how to run a nonprofit without killing yourself, a thriving nonprofit without killing yourself. That is at forpurposelive.com secrets. You can go grab that, get immediate access today and stop feeling so overwhelmed. Okay, so let's dive into some of these myths, right? That you can't make money if you're a nonprofit and that you shouldn't charge for services because I hear a lot of people, especially people that are just starting, they figure if it's a charity, that means they give everything away for free and that all of their revenue would come through grants or donations, okay? So that's false and you wanna get out of that mindset. Being a nonprofit is just a tax distinction, okay? What it means is there are no profits that go back to an individual owner. No one owns it. It doesn't mean there's no profits. You bring in revenue, you actually have to bring in more revenue than you spend so that you can keep your doors open. So if you have salaries, if you have program costs, all of the things that it's gonna to cost to run your program, you have to, if you're going to be accountable to the people you're serving and you're going to continue to be able to serve them, you have to bring in more revenue than you spend. So the revenue that's left over after you spend, it's not a profit, but it is expected because you're a public good that you reinvest it back into the organization. This can be staffing, it can be salaries, it can be program costs. Um, you can invest that money, but it needs to stay within the organization. Okay, so there's plenty of organizations that have a whole bunch of money left over at the end of the year. They put that into an investment account and then they actually start making revenue off the interest of that investment. So it's just like a business, but there's not one owner, okay? But let's get it clear, it's a business. Now, the way that the government structures these so that you 
you know, there's checks and balances and not everybody's able to just basically say they have a nonprofit is you are required to have a board of directors. Nobody owns it. So if you're the executive director and you go out and you're founding a nonprofit and, um, you know, you want to run this program, it's your innovative idea. Just know that the board of directors you have over you at any point can vote you off and you aren't part of the organization anymore. Okay. It's a big reason why I actually turned my nonprofit stable moments into an LLC because I wanted control. I wanted to own my intellectual property. Okay. And I wasn't soliciting donations anymore. So I didn't need it to be a nonprofit An LLC made sense for me. So, if you are trying to decide nonprofit or LLC, definitely look into, do you want control? Do you want a board of directors overseeing anything? And are you going to do like grants and donations and a lot of public appeals for, for public money where you would want a 501c3 nonprofit declaration? But honestly, that's, it's just a tax distinction, okay? It's not like one is better than the other. There are plenty of for-profit businesses that are social causes that do plenty for ministries and uh, they give back to the community. They have a social cause mission, but they are for-profit, okay? It's a tax distinction. That's all it is, all right? So how do nonprofits make their money? Well, they make their money through grants, through donations, through corporate sponsorships, through program fees, okay? and maybe interest if they're investing money. So program fees are so good because they're sustainable. When you are only relying on grants, donations, and corporate sponsorships, that means you need to go ask for those grants and those donations and corporate sponsorships, and then you need to ask again, and you need to secure them again, and constantly be applying for grants and constantly be talking to corporate sponsorships to make sure this $20,000 we got this year, oh shoot, are they gonna give it to us again? If they don't, what are we gonna do? You're so reliant on other people to give you money. If you have program fees, that will at least keep your lights on. So you offer a direct service, maybe you offer therapy or counseling or something like that, or support groups, and you're able to charge for those services and what you charge will at least keep your lights on, at least you're sustainable. And then the grants, um, and the donations and stuff, those can offer you know, like the cherries on top, the extras in your programming uh, or new program, innovative programming, right? So program fees are so good to get you to a place where you can at least rely on X number of dollars each month from your programs, okay? Whether you do summer camps or you do direct services, uh, whatever uh, service you offer, you can get money for. Okay, and you might say like, okay, Rebecca, but I don't think it's fair because Stable Moments is my program that offers one-on-one -on -one mentorship for children in foster care. And a lot of the locations that we have will say to me like, Rebecca, I don't feel comfortable asking uh, foster parents to pay for their kid to have mentorship. And I couldn't agree more. I don't think foster parents should pay. Now, adoptive parents should pay. To me, adoptive parents are just like biological parents. They, that is their child. Um, and nobody would go to like swimming lessons or horseback riding lessons or Taekwondo or anything else without paying something. It's how you envision your service. But if your service is a service, it's probably even more of a service because it's therapeutic in some type of nature, then you need to charge for it. Okay, so then what do we do about parents who can't pay, right? Because we often are dealing with 
populations that may be low income? Or what do we do about foster parents where we just feel like, gosh, they're already holding the gap. They are already housing this kid. And now we're going to ask them to pay for services for the kid? No, the state should be paying for that. I agree. So it doesn't mean that you don't have program fees, okay? The state should be paying for that. And you need to argue that point and you need to come out and say, hey, listen, I have the facility. I have the mentors. I've put all this system together. I've got the therapeutic curriculum that's evidence-based. I have proof that this kid needs this. So it's you selling the state on getting your program fees covered by that case manager, by the Department of Children and Families, okay? So it's making those headways, figuring out who should pay and then holding them accountable or asking them for the dollars. Then once you get a contract with the state to pay your program fees um, for this underserved population, then that's the conversation you have is directly with the state. But again, it's sustainable income as long as you're serving people, the department that believes your service is valuable is going to pay you. Now, let's say um, there's no type of that situation for you. Nobody that you would serve would pay for your services and the adult that you're serving wouldn't be able to pay for your services. So I think that it's important to at least state the value of your service. If you're giving meals out, if you're giving job education out, if you're giving whatever you're offering, you should say what it's worth. Every meal here costs us $50. Every meal given out costs us $25, whatever it is. So that the person that's getting the services, it's not to make them feel bad, it's to get help them understand the value. And I will say this because I started my nonprofit Stable Moments giving sessions away for free. I thought if you were a nonprofit, you didn't charge. And I actually thought that donors, sponsors would expect me not to charge. So I didn't charge. Well, guess what? It was a weekly mentorship program. I had to pay for and care for all of these horses because it also involves equine assisted learning. I had to train mentors. I had to schedule when the kid could come, when the mentor could come. I had to block out time, block out the horse, get the mentor. I got all of this together and then people would come or not come or show up or not show up because it was a free service. And now I have a mentor not knowing really if they're being helpful and not feeling engaged. I'm spending all of this money to keep this horse up kept and fed and ready to work with a kid. And we're all just sitting there feeling silly because the parent didn't value the service because it was free. So this is why at the very least, if you can say, listen, our services are $50 a session. Our services are $200 a month, whatever it is. You're obviously a foster parent. We're not going to charge you for that, but we are, we currently are using scholarships to cover that fund. So maybe you have asked the community or asked a grant to cover eight kids to go through your programs, or maybe you have asked the community spend a thousand dollars and cover a kid's whole year worth of services. They need to know they're a scholarship recipient. They need to know that somebody has paid for their way, that this is a scholarship another kid isn't getting because they are getting it. And when you say that upon intake, it's again, not to make anybody feel bad. It is like, we are ready to show up for you, but we can't show up for you more than you're willing to show up for you, okay? So this is what we ask. If you're gonna miss a session, please do X, Y, and Z. 
one-on-one um, -on -one mentorships really, really important or showing up every time is really important. Maybe you don't have a, a, a nonprofit where people show up every time and maybe it's a drop-in center or whatever it is. But helping people understand during an intake assessment or um, on your website or during any of your communications just how much things cost if you're not going to charge is important to help them value it. But in the case where you can either get the community to pay for through donations, these sessions, breaking down like, okay, we need 10 bags of dog food each week. Please, we need 10 people to opt in to pay for one bag of dog food a week. And then getting those 10 people so that they know what they're getting and so that you can rely on the dog food being covered and that's sustainable. Now, is that a donation? Yes. Okay. Again, it's not really talking about program fees, but program fees, if you have a situation where you are offering services, you should charge for those. Now let's talk about other ways you can make money in case uh, it just doesn't make sense. You guys don't do any direct services. Maybe you're a national nonprofit that does awareness or education or something like that. And you don't do one-on-one -on -one services. Okay. So other things that you can do are you can charge for reviewing other people's literature. So often if you create a space uh, in the world that you are an expert on a certain issue in your area, people might come to you and say, hey, we're gonna release a brochure on this or we're doing a video on this and we wanted to incorporate some information on the dangers of this or whatever, we know you're a leader, would you mind looking over our stuff? That's something that you can say, Yes, we actually offer review to make sure that everything is in line with, you know, current best practices and statistics and research. We charge $150 for a document review. And so that's one way that you can say like, yes, we'll offer our expertise, but it, it's not free for us. Like, and you're like d developing something for them. Like they might even charge for it or, or they're using it. Okay. So you want to be charging for your advice and your expertise. A lot of times, especially if it's, you know, a business or whatever, that 150 bucks is nothing. But now you're starting to value your time. They're valuing your time, which actually gives you even more credibility in the space. Okay. So you can do that. You could also, let's say you like develop awareness posters, uh, you know, that to hang in doctor's offices or on domestic violence, or they hang in schools. Okay. And you give these posters out for free. Well, maybe you need to charge for those posters. Okay, because it is something that you have developed very nicely that somebody gets to use and at least you should be covering your costs to making those. And then once more people see them, maybe there's other assets that they'd like you to develop, but those are things you can charge for your education, your assets. Okay. And the things that are helping other people raise awareness about a particular issue. Okay. Technical assistance. People might say, hey, we are trying to launch a program here as well to let people know about fire prevention or let people know about, but we're just wondering how to get this program off the ground. We'd like a call with you, whatever. So if you can figure out like, wow, you know what? We're spending a lot of time on calls helping people figure out how to set up their programs or helping people figure out how to be successful at teaching kids something or whatever. If you're starting to offer basically consultation for people, then you should make that into a curriculum that is called, you know, is your technical assistance. So you're like, you know what? We will actually help you. We'll go into your school. We will uh, get on calls with you weekly. We will give you all of our assets on how to implement this program and all of that. But we charge 
X number of dollars per meeting or we charge this for our package of technical assistance. So we can actually help you integrate this solution into your entity, organization, whatever, but we charge for that, okay? So maybe they char you charge for the curriculum and then maybe you have additional charge if they need implementation help, okay? And I know a lot of times people go like, well, isn't it our mission to get people to implement this? Aren't we urging people to implement this? And isn't it our mission to do that? So why shouldn't we just be doing that? You are doing it. It's an incredible, amazing service you are offering. You have got people ready to implement a new solution that you have offered, but you should get paid for it. That's like with stable moments. If I, I currently offer a book that's a manual of how to start a mentorship program using equine assisted learning with community mentors. I give the book which tells you everything you need to know about doing it and then if you want to get certified in the model you go online and you do an online course. Okay you could say like Rebecca if you really wanted to serve children in foster care across the United States why wouldn't you just give this away for free? Well one it's I have spent a lot of time and effort it's actually like such a little amount they have to spend given what I have put into it, right? And so there, there should be an equal balance. Plus, if I just gave it away for free, it could get willy-nilly, people could not use it the way I wanted them to. I truly believe people need to put skin in the game. If you truly believe you want to serve children in foster care and you wanna do this mentor, this model, I don't want you to just be like, sweet, it's free, so it's like this little thing we can kind of, know. I want you to be like, these kids deserve a small initial investment so that we can do this program right and actually meet their needs, okay? It's just a different energy when people really opt in and they do that through dollars, okay? You can offer people uh, your education, your technical assistance. If you're finding we're often getting on the phone with people just to tell them how to do things, just to help them out, sometimes they're for-profit entities, you need to be charging for that. And then another thing is education. This is a big one. So if you have in your nonprofit have learned a certain model or you are educating, let's say providers, you're educating law enforcement, you're educating uh, teachers and you go in and you actually do this education, think about a way that you can provide this as an online training that you can offer a certification for. So, hey, if you want to say your school's trauma informed, come online to our certification will give you all of the you know how to run this program how to implement it how to make your school a trauma sensitive school it's all an online education and then at the end you get a certificate of completion and you can put this little logo on your website that says we're trauma informed okay think about how it doesn't take you to go speak physically no, you could expand your reach so much more by making an online course. I did the same thing. I used to certify people in my model by going to certification events where people would sign up and I'd get 15 people and they'd all get certified and we all have to spend a weekend together. But it was prohibitive because people couldn't fly in and I could only do small amounts of people for 15, uh, 15 groups of 15. Now, all my certifications online. So anybody that wants to get certified whenever they want on their time can be and I'm pushing my mission more, serving more kids by not pigeonholing people to go to a certification event and spend way more, right, on expenses, flying out there, all that stuff. So if you do any education now where you could say, this is a curriculum, people need to understand. Um, I've worked with organizations that train providers on how to listen to patients because 
providers aren't listening to their patients. So it's big in the maternal health space right now that providers just don't listen to their maternity patients. So this is a provider training that you go and you watch how to effectively incorporate your patient into decision-making. And then afterwards you can wear a little badge that says we care about listening to our patients. Okay, so it's helpful for the entity and you can charge, you know, $1,000 per course. Um, you might even be able to offer things like CEUs or education credits, depending on what industry you're in. So think about any time, if you have good education that you're trying to teach people about and you go speak places, how can you turn that into a profitable online course? Okay, and then finally, for those speaking engagements you are doing, if people are asking you to come speak, charge, okay? You can just say, I require a $500 honorarium. I require a $1,000 honorarium. Um, you know, you can choose your honorarium based on what you think the budget is of your intended audience, but you should be getting paid. If they can't pay you an honorarium to come speak at a conference, like they don't value your time and why are we giving that away for free? Small honorarium, so that covers some of your costs of like, you have to develop slides for these things. You have to figure out how you're gonna speak. You have to show up. You Like you are delivering a whole bunch, trust me. I have run conferences before and I have developed all of the speakers and all of that. And it's pretty sweet when I get to sit back and speaker after speaker after speaker go up on stage and deliver all this amazing content. Okay, I have no problem paying them for their time. In fact, I feel like it's really weird to not pay them for their time. Another way that you can bring in revenue. So I want you to really, really think about this because offering things at no cost or for free isn't sustainable. People don't value you, all right? They're just gonna be like, she'll speak. Yep, let's pull her over here. Let's pull, pull her over there. Let's get her on the phone. Let's spend over. Now you're spending time doing things for other people. You're not bringing any, any money for your mission and they're pulling you probably away from mission critical activities, okay? And you're not letting anybody else buy into the work. So if you have a cost for something, like I said, uh, therapy, but you are not going to charge the actual person that's getting therapy for whatever reason, it just doesn't make sense. If you're offering meals to homeless people, you're not gonna charge them for the meal, like I get it. But by not putting a cost, by saying, oh, this is no cost or free, that's a lie. By not putting a cost to it, you're not articulating how much it really does cost to meet people's needs. And then other people can buy into that and go, wow, this is, this is expensive. The least we can do is, is cover the cost of that, all right? So one other thing is that I really thought that donors and sponsors love to hear that uh, I offered everything for free, everything was no cost, and oh, by the way, I don't take a salary. And I found that Sponsors and donors, I literally had a donor, a sponsor one time, a corporate sponsor, have written out a check for me and it was like for whatever, $4,000. And as I'm like receiving the check, I'm so excited to say, oh, this is gonna help so many kids because we do everything for free here. We don't charge anything and I don't get paid. They literally slid the check back and they were like, that's not sustainable. They want to know that like if I get hit by a bus tomorrow that we have enough money in the bank to pay another executive director. They don't want to give $4,000 to a cause that 
couldn't run without their money. I've had other grants say that they're only willing to give 5% of your operating expenses because they do not want to be responsible for so much of your budget that you couldn't survive without them, okay? So instead, now if I were to pitch myself, I would say we're sustainable. We charge this much through program fees. They are paid through Department of Children and Families so that our families don't have to cost, although they do know the value of the program and they, they show up every time. We've got a great retention rate because they know the value of the program and they know um, that somebody is paying for it, okay? And I get a salary. People want to know that you get salaries. And I've said this before, but I'll just throw it in there. I know a lot of nonprofits think there's this like golden 12% on salaries, like all, if you took the pie of your operating budget, uh, that salaries should only be 12%. But I'm here to tell you that most of your salary should be categorized as programmatic. So let's just say for even numbers, you had you made $50,000 a year, like maybe 10% of that $5,000 would go into salaries, but the rest would probably or would go into administrative costs. Sorry, not salaries, but administrative costs. The rest should be programmatic. I mean, all you're doing all day is like working on your mission, right? So anytime you're actually doing anything that is mission related and driving the programs, that's all programmatic costs. The only administrative costs you should charge out of your salary are like when you're setting up your software and you're, you know, setting up your email and you're registering for your business name and those things that really have nothing to do with serving the people. They're just things you have to do administratively to run your business and keep it afloat. So just so that you understand administrative versus programmatic, most of your income, I bet you, should be categorized as programmatic. I hope after this you realize you can charge, you should charge, a whole bunch of ways you can charge, and I hope that you will start thinking about how you might charge. What might you develop that you can charge for? How are you gonna get some reliable income coming in that at least keep the lights on so that you are not dependent on grants and donors, give you a little breathing space, give you a little bit of credibility, right? Okay, I hope I've sold you on that. And I would love for you to write in the comments one thing that you are gonna start charging for, one thing even if you don't have it yet, like an online course or um, materials you can sell. I would like you to talk about how you're gonna develop that and start charging for that, okay? And what would work for your nonprofit, all right? Because I know there's so many different nonprofits out there. Either way, thank you so much for the for your service to this world. Until next time.